0: Hello, lovely neighborhood. I hope your June is going well so far. In case you need it, just a little reminder to start of last week's quote of the yay. If you aren't where you thought you'd be as we approach the middle of the year, which as always has crept up outrageously quickly, the quote was, it is impossible to fall behind in your own life. Your pathway is on its own timetable. From my conversations over the past few weeks, a lot of us seem to still be feeling a bit of an emotional hangover from the past few years, but then are quite hard on ourselves about Letting that show now that there's a bit more normality in life. If that's you, stop that right now. You've been through a lot, and it does take time to restore your sense of balance. Speaking of balance, today's episode is a bit of a balance or a bit of a hybrid between yes of Our Lives and a regular interview, because it started as one to spread awareness of an important neighborhood Watch movement, but then morphed into the other because our guests' Parthie was so interesting in itself. It is a little heavier than our normal episode, so just a little content warning. We we do discuss domestic violence and other content that may be triggering or disturbing to certain listeners. So please take care. And there's a list of resources in the show notes should you wish to reach out for help. It's structured a little differently because there was just so much material to cover, particularly as I was realizing partway through that the path was also as interesting as the movement. So I thought I'd play around a bit to make sure we highlighted the most important stuff. As you know, we are all about lightness and finding yay, but also feel it's really important to acknowledge the facets of life that might obstruct your ability, to do so, so that nobody feels alone in whatever their NATA is, or so that a resource might reach one person, just one listener, who needs it, who might not have otherwise had that information. To that end, I'm honoured to introduce you to our guest for today, the National Director of White Ribbon Australia, Alan Ball. You know, I love to follow people's parthias, and Alan has certainly had an interesting one. Before talking all things White Ribbon, I wanted to find out what drove him to such a high-flying position, particularly all the dot points that had to to fall into place in order for him to get there. From early beginnings as a school counsellor, Alan worked his way up the ladder to cover many different areas and work across rural communities, the NDIS, LGBTQIA plus organisations and youth struggling with drug abuse. So there's a little bit of lots of things, but a lot of very important things too. As you're about to hear, he credits so much of this to his upbringing with some both truly tragic and inspirational moments.
1: Look, childhood, it leaves an impression. It is your roots. But typically speaking, my childhood was really, I would say it was really ordinary. When I was a boy, I wouldn't even say I wanted to be a social worker growing up. I think my biggest dream was around doing something of significance and importance. Mm -hmm. And this really stems back to some key milestone moments that i wouldn't imagine any child should go through and i'm really comfortable to talk about my childhood because for me i want any young men or any young women out there that have experienced trauma to understand that you can get through it with a bunch of support really good protective factors but trauma exists Let's not bury our head in the sand. There are some unfortunate things that happen to children and often children are making sense of just their own worlds, not to mention being met with tragedy. And what I'm referring to is that when I was a young boy, my dad and my mum, they divorced. And divorce in kind of the, I think, late 80s, early 90s was still quite taboo. And for some cultures right now, it is still taboo. I did not know what divorce was. That wasn't a word that we used. As a child, I just knew it as I've now got mum's house and dad's house and I've got a mum weekend and a dad weekend It was kind of cool almost like i didn't feel that it was something that should have upset me it wasn't certainly something that me and my sister would like converse with each other and say oh why why us like why is this happening to us we just saw it as quite an ordinary unique experience it wasn't until we started to intersect with other families or other kids or friends and you started to even read things or see things in the media where you thought okay well That, that doesn't seem to be all right. That family doesn't reflect me. We still had very much strong ideals of the nuclear family. At that time, even TV represented mum, dad and children to a certain extent. It still does. And so of course questions were asked, but my dad and my mum, they did a brilliant job about protecting us as children to understand that there is no cookie cutter family. And it was quite an important moment for both my sister and I. We were met with tragedy quite early on. My mum's house had a house fire and my mum suffered catastrophic injuries. And as a result of those injuries, she passed away on the fifteenth of January nineteen
0: ninety-five. Oh, Alan, I'm so sorry.
1: Oh, look, thank you for that. And I and I trust your listeners with that because that for me was a moment in my life that defined who I am now as an adult. And for anybody that's lost a parent or anyone who's lost anyone that's close to them, the grief, the hurt, the pain, I don't think it goes away. It hasn't gone away for me, but yet it defines me. And I'm comfortable talking about it because resiliency, protective factors like a dad and a maternal grandmother who absolutely wrapped our arms around my sister and myself to ensure that we were protected from the implications and the hurt and the pain as much as we could. And when I was 10 at the time and my sister was just slightly older and at the time it was I'm going to I didn't quite compute what was going on. I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to get my hugs anymore or I'm not going to be able to, at that time I wasn't vegan, I'm not going to have my mum's roast pork anymore. Who's going to do the balloon animals for me? And it wasn't until I started to have milestones throughout my life. So, for instance, I'm graduating from university or when I when I won Channel 9's Young Achiever of the Year or the birth of my daughter. These are moments where you start to think about, well, what would it have been like if my mum was here? And so for me, that's why I say that grief and pain doesn't go away, it just evolves. And I know that there's many families that are thrown into tragedy and trauma, and my pain is just as important as their pain. And earlier on, I remember it being so defining about who I want to be and so very much it was about the I wanted to be in a society that ensured that trauma and tragedy, which just exists, is something that is normalized. We have systems and architecture in place to support the minimal impact as possible and to ensure particularly children don't get put on a trajectory of further pain or oppression or discrimination because of something that happened to them, not because they invited it in their childhood.
0: Oh my gosh, that's So powerful because, I mean, obviously this show is Seize the Yay and it is very much focused on Mm. finding your purpose and your joy in life, but it can't ignore that there is trauma and tragedy. And Mm. we often do discuss people's pathways in a a little bit of a vacuum, you know, the matrix of decision-making that's very much, what did you want to be? and But you can't ignore that there are defining things that happen that that change the entire way you approach your future. That change whether or not, as a child, you can even conceive of a future. And just like you were talking about the idea of a, a nuclear family and visibility of of difference and uniqueness, it's important for people listening to know that you know you you might have also had trauma in your childhood that made your decisions about what you wanted to be and who you wanted to become on this earth very different to someone who perhaps you know wasn't visited with those kinds of challenges so early on in their life. So it's Amazing to hear that trauma has defined part of your story, but not prevented you from going on to help others with theirs, not mm-hmm. prevented you from going on to find other ways through it and around it, sort of <laughs> to find your place in and doing something that you love that that helps others. And I think one thing we often do in, in a very stoic society is sometimes like, push it down, push it down. Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean, trauma? You'll be fine. Like just Put on a brave face and get through it, but I also love that you're very much like it does define me. It mm-hmm. is a big part of my childhood and it's important for other people listening whose you know friends or family or themselves or their children have similar kind of tragedies in their life to know that you can come through it and build a really beautiful life for yourself. so with that as the background or the backdrop to kind of you know starting as a student counselor and and then building your way up to where you are now, how did you find a way to move through the not ignore your grief but move through it and find some direction for your life in
1: counseling there's certain methodologies we use and we talk about precipitating and predisposing factors when we start to understand like clinical formulations one of the important elements is around protective factors and we we try to build these into people's lives if not that's about awareness raising about what are the positive elements or actually supporting that education or that activity to build informal and formal support networks. I could not have got through it if it wasn't for my father and my maternal grandmother. And I wanted to talk about my maternal grandmother because she is a defining hero. She would say she never lived a remarkable life. She would often say that she lived quite an ordinary life But to me, she was an extraordinary individual. She raised her family on the principles of social justice and human rights and equality. And for me, she was a trailblazer. I recall vividly messages that she would leave with me, and one in particular was she would often say to my sister and myself, there are no boy jobs or there's no girl jobs. There's just jobs, so get them done.
0: Oh and my gosh. Yeah. Woman ahead of her time. Woman ahead of her time
1: and I mean she was talking about cooking and cleaning and and making the bed and taking care of my dad like she said this in the spirit of kind of domestic home economic duties. And yet the parallels and the connections to what I'm doing now as the National Director of White Ribbon Australia and leaving a leading a movement alongside some incredible experts and primary prevention officers is around understanding gender norms and gender stereotypes. And my nan was a trailblazer. She wouldn't say that, but she was and again COVID was the worst thing for so many families. COVID took my nan's life last year, but she fell asleep in a bed, in a warm bed. Uh, I believe she was listening to her favorite tunes. The perfect exit to a woman who really was a trailblazer for me, who raised boys. She had three boys and she raised them under the motto that she doesn't want their protection. She goes, women don't need men to protect them she just wants their respect
0: Mm. and
1: to respect themselves and to respect others. And so on that regard, that's why I say she was extraordinary. And there's probably your listeners that do have these role models in your life that are people that are close to you. And it might not necessarily be a family figure. It could be a teacher or a school counselor or a captain of your a coach of a sporting team but individuals adults particularly as children that provide that moral compass but also that safe supporting hands to go out and test the world try new things and knowing that they'll be there to hold you and be secure for you and so I can do what I've done because I've had a really good footing despite my tragedy and trauma and it comes down to having some incredible individuals. And and I haven't even mentioned my dad. I, I talk about my dad so often. So my dad probably wouldn't know what a podcast is. Um, He's <laughs> still struggling getting on a computer and having an email address. But my dad is one of my best friends. He's your quintessential Australian bloke. And often I tease him a little bit because I often test new ideas on him because he's a kind of movable middle Australian bloke that we want to engage as part of the White Ribbon Australia Day movement. But my dad, again, he, he was another trailblazer. He worked multiple jobs. He took primary caregiving responsibilities for my sister and myself alongside my maternal grandmother. He kept a roof on our house, those kind of those typical breadwinning roles, which shouldn't align to any gender because we didn't have those gender norms. My dad just did it all, and he made sure that my sister and myself were at the core of everything he did in terms of his nurture and well-being. He taught me so much that I can now make sense of as an adult, but as a kid kid, it was just really normal for us to have a father who cared for us, nurtured us, fed us, kept our hair clean and brushed my sister's hair and um, went shopping and did all of those things that have typically been associated with traditional gender norms. But he had to do it all because that was his responsibility as a single father, raising two children in, in Adelaide. These are important individuals and this is these are individuals that still guide me even though my nan's not here physically with me, but spiritually I am so connected to her. And my dad is here. I had a good old yarn with him this morning. So um, those protective factors are why I can do what I do.
0: With the influence of his nan and his dad, Alan went on to work as a counsellor, spanning a massive range of focus areas, and then, of course, becoming the National Director of White Ribbon. As you'll hear, he is passionate about eliminating gendered violence, and I wanted to understand why, as well as what the landscape currently looks like in Australia. Men's violence against women is an ongoing epidemic in Australia, but it can be easy if it doesn't affect your daily life to overlook what's happening in the broader community. So we started with some of the major statistics.
1: Domestic violence or gender-based violence is one of the most complex social issues and pervasive issues faced in Australia. And back when I started as a pre-social worker but then into a social work role, domestic and violence was always there. It always existed. And I've worked directly and indirectly in primary prevention and in crisis or tertiary interventions, and I think about my role back with Child Adolescent Mental Health Services, a number of the precipitating factors were relating to family and domestic violence, or particularly men's violence against children and women. What is really important for me to acknowledge is that the work that I do, and the only reason I'm here right now is because of the incredible women survivors and advocates who spoke up and shouted until men Governments, systems started to take notice and they're still speaking up and they're still shouting for reform. I'm grateful to the women survivors and advocates who were ignored until it was too late and I'm indebted to these women survivors and advocates who opened the path for so many, so many to question the status quo, the oppressive structures and inequalities as well as to the women whose personal tragedies remind us that this issue is all too real. And right now across Australia, we know that millions of women are living in fear, are living with the trauma of family and domestic violence whether or not it's happening right now, it's happened in the past and they're still computing or on their journey of recovery. Almost two in five women have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. over sixty percent of women experience violence from a current partner are working. One in two Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander workers have been sexually harassed at work in the last year. 94% of female victims experience violence from a male perpetrator. Sexual harassment costs the economy $3.5 billion annually. It costs the economy $22 billion annually in terms of domestic and family violence. And the pandemic has only amplified the onset or escalation of violence and abuse in women's lives. And, it's important for me to acknowledge that these are statistics, but these are women behind these statistics. These are stories of hurt, trauma, and pain. And for far too long, I feel like even back in my early stages, and now I do see it, it's, it's still considered domestic violence or gender-based violence as a women's issue, and I find that so confusing. And, in fact, I find that a problem because the problem may impact women but it's actually a men's issue and men have largely been erased from the conversation and inadvertently which means that they haven't been engaged in the ways that they can solve it or be part of the solution making and it's deliberate of White Ribbon Australia to be co-led by a woman CEO and a male national director because it takes every Australian but particularly men to step into this conversation and to step into the solution-making and to stand alongside women in in ensuring that we combat this and stop violence before it starts. And because it's pervasive and severe, it means it's going to occur. And in Australian society, um, I'm reminded that we are not all on the same page yet, and that, that confuses me a little bit, and we, we still have conversations where we are blaming the victim we might be saying things like oh why did she wear that or why doesn't she leave or oh she was drinking with a bunch of men and and that's not okay we don't speak about actually mm. what's happening for men what are the systems and structures that are enabling this to happen are we distinguishing between gender norms or understanding the drivers of violence and it pains me that right now in Australia, we've had 18 women murdered. And if this was 18 women murdered because of a terrorist attack, or 18 women losing their lives because of shark attacks, the general response would be so different to what we're happening in right now. And I wonder is this because we've been so conditioned, we've normalized domestic violence? And furthermore, have we not become so complacent or attuned to this being on our news that we kind of now tune out? And so the work that we're doing in White Ribbon Australia is crucial alongside other amazing organisations, but the work we're doing right now is so crucial because we don't talk about engaging men and boys. We are engaging men and boys as being part of the preventative programme. And we're providing organizations, communities, schools, workplaces with the skills, information, and programs to start thinking about putting some real effort in into stopping violence and abuse before it starts.
0: While that might seem overwhelming, White Ribbon is doing some incredible work across Australia to end gendered violence, and one of their most important campaigns is the end of financial year tax appeal, which is what actually initially led to this conversation. Ending men's violence against women can sometimes feel like an impossible goal up against the statistics that we've already covered, but donations this tax time will enable the development of community action groups and community partners, mobilising communities to challenge sexism, question gender stereotypes, and promote gender equality. Across Australia, the campaign encourages Aussies to donate by June 30, and all donations over two dollars are tax deductible. But what will all this money actually do? Well, White Ribbon has big plans, and members of the neighbourhood know I love a good community, which is why it's so exciting that White Ribbon will be having a big community focus. Here's how Alan explains it:
1: It goes without saying that social movements, advocacy, and primary prevention needs to be funded and Why Ribbon Australia is extremely grateful to the Australian community to support us with that fundraising efforts, and they generously give. Where Australians' money go, it goes back into primary prevention programs. And what do I mean by that? Community response plans and community action groups, where we work with Australian citizens in a community that they define to understand what is this issue of men's violence and women in their community, because it's not unique to their single community, but the solutions to resolve it, to understand it, tackle it, and ultimately prevent it from occurring absolutely are. And so our community engagement team is fully committed to working across Australia, but to do that in every single Australian postcode, we need funding to expand and to grow. We are on the cusp of engaging in different programming to respond to the emerging community needs, programs in schools, programs for training in education. But this sits alongside programs that currently exist. We have an online learning module where any Australian can go on right now. It's absolutely free where you can learn a little bit more about the issue of men's violence against women, understand the pervasive nature of it, but also understand what you can do. And we kind of talk about it as our ladder of engagement. That's the first rung. And then we ask you to start thinking about the issue and what it means for your community and maybe consider becoming a community partner And that these are individuals that are working right across every Australian state and territory to be a champion of prevention in their communities and to almost work alongside White Ribbon Australia to tackle this issue at its grassroots or what enables it to occur and so our tax appeal is an important moment in our fundraising and well-run business agenda to gather the funds so we can set our next year and then and the years after up for success because we can't have a short-term view of ending men's violence against women we have to be in it for the long haul this is going to take a generation to fix. Mm. This is going to be something that we have to continually monitor. And as legislation changes or community attitudes evolve, we need to be there to monitor and to address these issues, legislation, as they unfold. And we also need to drive that agenda as well. And so the privilege of being a social movement connected globally that White Ribbon Australia is part of 60 chapters across the world, is that we have a significant amount of expertise in this space. And we're really proud to partner with our parent organisation, Communicare, who will require another podcast to understand the incredible amount of work that they're doing in family support services, in men's behaviour change, leading the Southern Hemisphere's only residential male program. And I don't want to oversimplify that program, but I encourage your listeners to to check out Breathing Space and understand the program and what it does. So White Ribbon Australia in Communicare, we are positioned as a very unique global organisation that's looking at the issue of ending men's violence against women and their children from a tertiary right through to a, a primary prevention lens. And so the money that we get donated in the tax appeal particularly goes towards all of our efforts, our community engagement particularly.
0: Now, while talking to the national director of an organisation as big and influential as White Ribbon, I couldn't miss the opportunity to get a bit of inspiration from him and Alan was more than willing to share. So for those who find his trajectory from social worker to a high-level executive fascinating and enticing, this is where it kind of moved away from the neighbourhood watch item and into his own path, Here's some advice he had to share.
1: First thing I would say is that you cannot pour from an empty cup. So as leaders, it's really important to have a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I I spend a lot of time on self-care. I go to the gym. I eat well. I make sure that I laugh. And it's really important that we acknowledge that element of self-care. And it's something that I encourage all of my team and my community to really embrace. And why I say you cannot pour from an empty cup, it's because this takes the long haul. And it's been through trial and error. If anybody knows me and what I'd like to say about people is that they probably say I work very hard. I probably don't take enough breaks as I should do. I would probably have people say, well, actually, Alan, you might not necessarily be not pouring from that empty cup, but it's always at the front of my mind. To be our best version of ourselves requires us to take care of ourselves and to ensure that we're committing to that. One of the sage pieces of advice that I've been given, and that is in any role, or any, any journey we're on is that take the under-construction approach. And I've heard it time and time again, but what this really means is, is that constantly learn, look for innovation, look to others as well. There are amazing experts in my team. I don't have all the answers. I absolutely don't, and I will never have all the answers. But we surround ourselves with individuals that are experts and you tap into that expertise. And when we talk about being under construction, it acknowledges too that as human beings we evolve, that things happen to us that will change our trajectory or give us another insight or aha moment. And the temptation for us to say that we know it all or to take a position of, well, I'm now the expert in that, we are doing ourselves ultimately and the community a sense of injustice And the other thing that I'd like to say as well is give clear advice. Being unclear or being too ambiguous is not kind at all. So leaning into a sense of positive but yet frank feedback, it's important that we open ourselves and it's also important that we we call things out. We do this in a kind and respectful way and very sensitive way. and not acknowledging, though, that we have got a big agenda. We're not always going to get it right. We have lots of competing stakeholder demands, but we have to just be in a kind, sensitive way, and we can't bury our heads in the sand, and that includes not being open to feedback as well. And I feel like I'm still a young fella, and I, I think I've got years ahead of me, For anybody that's listening that wants to be in an emerging leadership position or aspire to being at the top or whatever notion that is, just acknowledge the fact that you have to do something that you're compassionate about and that that, that drives you. Otherwise, you're not going to be there for the long-lasting endeavor and it's going to feel a bit like a chore. And as much as we're dealing with tragedy and complex social issues and trauma, I'm Very much at the core of who I am. It's around the pursuit of social justice and human rights. And so as long as you find your cause, what makes you get up in the morning, you'll be fine. You'll you'll be on your trajectory and don't compare yourself to others. And that's a lesson learned from Alan, maybe 10 years ago. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Don't look at the other side of the fence and think it's greener. Just understand yourself and be comfortable and confident with who you are and the value that you add.
0: Now, of course, you know, I love a good quote and this is normally where I would get one out of our guests. But with White Ribbon aiming for big things, I thought I'd give Alan one last chance to get our help.
1: If any men are listening to this podcast and and are very curious about what you can do, I encourage you just to listen, learn about the problem, learn why some men are violent, develop respect for relationships with women challenge sexist language or jokes identify and oppose sexual harassment in the workplace take action if you see violence is happening support local women's programs and services wear a white ribbon or a wristband and get involved with your white ribbon movement i'm asking for a call to action are you with us really we're asking men join us support us and get involved in your white ribbon australia movement
0: Well, what a wonderful human being who we are so lucky to have heading up an organisation like White Ribbon Australia. I found this so eye-opening and thought-provoking and I hope that the neighbourhood did too. Please don't hesitate to reach out. If you or anyone in your orbit needs help or needs resources, I've included a list of links in the show notes as well as where you can find out more about White Ribbon Australia and the end of financial year tax appeal. I hope that you are all looking after yourselves and are seizing your yay.